You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hi, Geekscapists. The Geekscape Podfather, Jonathan, here. In May, we lost one of our own. Longtime Geekscape is Christopher Ellis, who was a friend and a part of our geek community from the very beginning. Chris even met his wife Sarah through our podcast, and their 2015 wedding seemed like a giant Geekscape party. Chris's final weeks battling in the hospital shed light on a huge national problem. The COVID pandemic has almost completely depleted our national and local blood banks. These supplies are used by thousands of hospitals to provide life-saving treatments to patients or to buy enough time for loved ones just to say goodbye. So for the next month and beyond, we're going to do it big in Chris's memory and do some good in the process. We're throwing a blood drive. Visit www.aabb.org to find a donation center near you or visit other blood and platelet donation centers like the Red Cross. And let's make things interesting. For the next month, take a selfie of yourself donating with the hashtag GeekscapeGives and tag your favorite Geekscape podcast. We'll pick some charitable Geekscapists to send prizes to and the podcast that gets mentioned the most We'll also get some cool rewards. I should actually cancel the podcast that gets mentioned the least. Can I do that? Whatever. The point is, go out there and donate some blood, tag a selfie of yourself doing it with the hashtag GeekscapeGives, and get others to do the same. We couldn't save our friend Chris, but we can do a whole lot of good in his name. Geekscape forever! Hey, fam fam! We are back with another fantastic episode for you. Um, I'm really so far kind of excited about this season. Whether you started at the first episode of this season or you're just tuning in now for the first time, we've got some unique stuff this season so far. Like we had our episode where we talked about our film specifically. Um, We had sound engineer. And today we're going to bring you a showrunner. These are all positions that we've like never really talked about before on the show. So that's pretty cool. Um, But today's guest is Misha Calvert. She is a showrunner and she, uh, the most recent project that she has come out with is called Strut, which is like, I'm so excited to watch the rest of it. We just kind of watched a little preview of it, but I'm going to go binge the whole thing because it sounds awesome. And we'll let her, you know, talk about it in the episode, but it is on Reverie TV, which she will also talk a little bit more about how to access that, but it is a queer network. Um, so the, all the topics that this show covers and that this network cares about and stuff is super important stuff that we're going to get into this episode. Um, so it was really cool to hear about like the business side, like what a showrunner does, how you become a showrunner, that sort of thing. But then to also really get into the meat and potatoes of the issues. A very complex, <laughs> but I love that. Yeah, Misha was so great. We we just love getting amazing guests from people who tune into our show or find yeah. us. We are not shy to connect with you. We want to build a community that is supportive. And that is what the Fem Fam is all about. Yes. Because we cute like that. But also <laughs> we, we do business and we only want to create form this community so we're really really glad that for all of you who have been tuning in don't forget to rate us if you like us you know like literally when we say that like I'm not kidding DM us about something on the episode I can't tell you how many podcasts I listen to that I like feel like I know the hosts and there's so Mm -hmm. many they'll say something and be like oh my god me too and I want to just like message them and I'm like is that annoying is that like because I'm not really like (laughs) bringing anything to the table it's not annoying we love it like (laughs) do it (laughs) show running um want to hear how you define it and like that role and about your show because it's we got to see um the Mm -hmm. teaser and it looks really good and it's funny and I love what you're doing with it the characters all of that a showrunner is the typically the biggest boss on set they run the show and as such they're responsible for knowing the entire world of the show, Mm -hmm. all of the characters, the current season, the future seasons, uh, in addition to some of the more nitty gritty about crew and, you know, cast hiring. So a lot of things get filtered up to them and then they Mm -hmm. process, you know, looking at the macro picture and then they'll make decisions down from there. Now, they're not always the 
top, top, you know, obviously the bigger you go, you have whole studios that you have to answer to and networks that you have to answer to. So um, the showrunner is more in charge of the production and, you know, they, they don't get to green light things, but um, you can have showrunners that are quite established, like Ryan Murphy, Shonda Rhimes, uh, Greg Berlanti, you know, really powerhouse showrunners. And then at my level, I'm, I've not been doing this very long, only five years. So I've been showrunner on five series so far and they're digital. And as it happens, I am the sort of the biggest boss, but that's because, yeah. you know, until now we, I haven't really had networks to answer to. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And what's kind of big differences that you see a for the show itself and B for the showrunner position on like television series versus digital series, because so many things are going digital now, like a web series used to be such a, you know, oh, it's just a web series, little thing, whatever. And like web series are huge now, you know, you can have a viral famous web series with a giant following. So what's, are there a lot of major differences in those worlds? Yeah. The more zeros on the end of that budget, the more pressure. So a digital series you can make for um, <laughs> these days, two or three figures, but mm -hmm television series proper and that includes streaming platforms that the mainstreamers you could be uh certainly in the six figures per episode so uh the more money is at stake the more pressure the more responsibility the more power and generally the more hair you're going to lose on set with all <laughs> yeah so misha why do you love it like what brought you into this world and is it, yeah, why, why? <laughs> what do you love about it? <laughs> I'm a, the kind of person who loves power, but I also love responsibility. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because there's a lot of people in Hollywood who love power, not that many who love responsibility and, and not that many who yeah. love uh, what it means to respect the hiring process and the, the curation of uh, an idea from its conception all the way through to, you know, you really have to be, I, I treat my shows like I treat my relationships. I try to stay really grounded, uh, dedicated, loyal. I see things through, I honor my word. I, I never try to be dishonest in my approach. And I just find that that saves a lot of trouble because you know enough about film and TV to know there's some real wild folks out there with some strong personalities. And so yeah. I love being the person who can make sure that the folks who are hired to come on set or to work on the creative team are not only extraordinary at what they do, but they're really good people. Mm. It's just the best mm. way to, to have quality control over a project. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of hard work and I'm not yeah. afraid of being the, the face of something, in, you know, if things go, if things go wrong, when things go wrong, <laughs> yeah. I'm not afraid to be the one to step up and say, hey, my show, my fault, my, you know, my problem really, uh, and yeah. then try and fix things from there. Yeah, that's so important because like, like I'm, I'm a very type A person. I feel like if I see something going wrong, like I, I have to be on it to fix it. I have to like, I have to be in control and I don't even like to be in control, <laughs> but like, I, I can see the problems and I, I know how to fix it. And I know like, you know, that's just the kind of person that I am. But I think it's so important that you added that, like, you like to be in control, but you like the responsibility because like you said, not everybody does. Everybody wants to be, you know, the big boss and not everybody wants to take the responsibility that comes along with it. And I know for me and Carolina, when we started our production company, that was one of the reasons we even got together is because both of us are people that follow through with things. And we saw that, you know, actually working together, we saw that being the case. Um, and so that's very important to us. So I like that you mentioned that and that that's a reason that you love what you do, you know, and it's not just like a something that goes along with the job. Like that's part of why you love it. Yeah, I, I, I it's agree. really important when I see people who aren't maybe going to be as committed. I like, there's nothing more frustrating than being on a set and giving it your all. Like I've, I've say this as someone who's been on sets that weren't mine a lot of the time. 
especially when I was younger and, yeah. and you're like there, you're ready to work. You're ready to, to give it a hundred percent. And then you look up and you see somebody not giving a damn. And that's yeah. so discouraging. So I, I really try to make sure that everyone is there doing their best, giving their best and giving them a reason to care because the, the premises of the shows that I work on and create are, they're not just entertaining, they're also moving the needle on social issues. And so I think they're important. And I try yeah. to find people who have the same values as I do. Yeah, I love that too. That's another thing that's so, that. um, it's more prevalent nowadays, which is amazing because we're having the conversations that we need to be having and stuff, you know, but sometimes I feel like people, like for an example, it's pride month right now. Right. And a lot of big companies are just kind of throwing rainbows on things, you know, and it's like, they're just doing that to, to play into it, quote unquote, you know? So for somebody that really cares about the issues to be creating things that are talking about these issues and all of that, like, it's just, it's so important for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't realize maybe that I'm also queer. Like I don't really mm -hmm talk about that a lot I mean I technically am I, I like forget most of the time frankly <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to have to like save that in the month of June for people to care about a show about women sorry you yes. should care anyway amen yeah. I love that but I'll do what I gotta do yeah. I'll wear a fucking rainbow if I have to <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, that's so true. It's like you, you shouldn't have to say, you know, like if you're creating a series about like if two women are in a relationship and they're the lead or whatever, like it shouldn't really matter even what you are. But if that's going to start the conversation, like, hey, by the way, I'm also, you know, I wrote it and I'm queer, like whatever gets people talking, I guess, as long as it's coming from, you know, a genuine place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and I, I think we just had a, a conversation with someone in sound and it just sounds like no matter who you hire on a project, it's so important to have those initial conversations. I just had one the other day and yeah, the, the producer asked like, why do you even care to join our project? And it's for something low budget, small, um, a small role project manager, but I still feel like that is such a good way to start off like the conversation and and it's an important one to have so you know who's working for you and why we should care like the sound guy wants to feel like he's he's a part of that team so he does give a damn on mm -hmm. the day of set so i just it's so cool to like hear the someone who's even all the way up there like that's that's what matters and that's the big picture that you're seeing and and managing all those different departments that everyone cares about the same yeah. thing. So um, talk to us about your sets. Like, is it uh, because you said you're not in the big studio, but what's production like for you at your stage? Who for me, I start to lose my mind about a month out. I get completely obsessed <laughs> and uh, panicky, you know, starting like mm -hmm, about a month. And then uh, they always say pre is free, pre-production. So mm -hmm. I try to embody that and always fail to make the best of pre-production because really the closer you get to day one of photography, the faster you go and the more efficient you get. So nevertheless, right. I'm, I always end up doing a lot of producing, like whether I'm directing or not, uh, or starring or not, I always end up doing quite a lot of the making sure that, you know, the locations are what we need and the, the crew hires are what we need and the department heads are people that I, that I need to sign off on. And, um, you know, alongside script development, like basically every single facet of what the production is going to entail, I will have a hand in in that time leading up to production. And then I remember like for All Hail Beth, which is another series that I made for Brick TV, we, I was doing all of this work and I was directing it and producing it, helping produce with the other others. And, uh, and then a day and a half before we were gonna film, we had one of our lead actors drop out and I had to completely, and she was, um, she had to be an older Iranian American woman. Very specific, yeah. And yes, 
And so I spent about a half day looking for a replacement. Everyone was booked because we were shooting in two days. And then we called it and we were like, we're not going to find anyone, no one that we can afford. And so I just rewrote the entire script for a younger Iranian American woman and changed it from the mom to the sister. So like script stuff comes up as well. And if, you know, most of the shows that I do, I've written it as well. And it's, it's just mania. It's, it's just chaos. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's constant editing. I hear like, from what I hear, it's like, you're always on the edit and you have to be quick. Yeah. To, yeah, and to in television that. too, like showrunners will be doing that, you know, rewriting entire scenes on the day or, you know, just yeah. extraordinary things happen. And, and the, the bigger up you get, it's not like it gets easier. Right. The more money, the more problems, as someone once yeah. said. <laughs> but it's fun. It's, well, it's, yeah, because it, it's really just, it's so enjoyable though, because if you can bring on the right team, then you have that support system so that when the SHIT hits the fan you have people there who can jump in and as long I like to to be like Obama and you know he just hired people that were smarter than him for the positions all around him that's what he'd like to say he said I would I'll hire I want to hire people who are smarter than me so I try to do that with the the department as well yeah smart I feel like that's that's what I want (laughs) you know any any set that I'm on in charge of like I just want to hire people that know all the shit that I don't know about their department, you know, because I want to say, here's my vision. And then if they have questions, they can come to me and I can answer them, but I don't want to have to be looking over their shoulder. I don't want to micromanage. I want to be able to just trust them to work their magic, you know? And I, I think that's, yeah, that's to me would be such a relief (laughs) on a set. Yeah. And then once you get on set, uh, it's, it's more chaos if you can get if you can get four hours sleep or more you should be good uh oh so that's that's what my my favorite ad says his last words at four hours or more um so as long as you can do that and then once you get there like and this is true of most directors i know most showrunners i know just the energy and the excitement and the vivacity of everyone. Once you get on set, you can really ride that adrenaline, you know, for a good yeah. 12 or 14 hours if you have to. Um, if you're in a long shoot, right. like for Strut, we shot for six days. Mm-hmm. For All Hail Beth, I think it was 10. You do have to be careful what you eat, I, I find, to really try and sleep as much as possible at night and not go out partying or anything like that and then drink a lot of water you know try not to smoke a lot of cigarettes and just keep your physical health up because you're Mm -hmm. in it for the long haul and like with a feature film that's maybe three months or more so you have to start to kind of balance uh and and treat it more like a marathon yeah yeah because you can't afford to even catch a cold that's gonna have you out for a day like any one day matters so <laughs> much like, no. yeah no I love that you you're thank you for just being honest about what you have to like go through and and yeah the health aspect I think we can all just be like yeah no sleep but it's like no like you, you need to find a way to to shut the phone off and like knockout (laughs) and that's something I've been struggling with and trying to like get better at um because hormonally as a woman I have like insomnia PMS and like and it's like now I'm like okay now I know my dates like if I have a shoot like I'm gonna have to figure it out because we need to we need to like be able to like you said endure those long hours but I also love that you mentioned the uh adrenaline rush because I think we've all been on those sets too where it's it was a long day but we just enjoyed it that it just it didn't Mm -hmm. matter like it kind of just flew by and we were just in the process we were in the zone we were in our element making it another reason I do love that thank you another reason to hire really high quality energy people is because you're on set for so long and if there's somebody with kind of negative energy it, it really, you can feel it, especially on indie sets that are mm-hmm. usually quite small. So 
I only try to hire people who are kind. It's one of the most important traits, I think, for an actor or for a crew member, because I've, I've hired a few people over the years who weren't kind or who had some sort of, you know, mental illness or something. And of course you don't realize it until it's too late, but it just really drains your energy and you can go through, get to 14 hours. And if everyone's positive and uplifted and excited, you're like, dang, I could go for 14 more, you know, but if you have that one person who's draining the energy, it can feel like a 24 hour day. Yeah, totally. Because then it's not only a physical and mental like drainage, it's that emotional like stressor that already if you're an actor, you're dealing, I mean, any role, you're dealing with the emotional stress of, okay, we're in it, we're bringing up or channeling that, but oh my God, that's just like an extra, think of it, an extra 50 pounds on if you're lifting, think of it as an emotional drainage. So that's so true. I mean, any tips if you... I guess if you already signed someone on, you're you're stuck with it. But is no, there any way not, to kind of you're not stuck with them? <laughs> no, <Nope>. that's an <laughs> illusion. That's false. Okay, uh, I say hire slow, fire fast. And the times mm-hmm. when I knew I should fire and I didn't fire quickly or at all, I really regretted it. And and that's just boundary work, right? And understanding yeah where right. you are, what leverage you have, what you know, what the legal situation is, if it if that's an, an issue, and then just getting over it, like getting over the embarrassment yeah. or the awkwardness. Like you have to be a business person about it. Like this isn't working. We will find somebody else and it's not, it's just not worth it. You know? Yeah. I think that just you saying like the business side of it, like it's such a good reminder because I think, you know, film yeah. in it's such a, it's any art is such like a personal emotional thing. Right. So even though like if it's your creation, it's your baby, you have all everything invested in it. That doesn't mean everybody else does. And even if they're doing you favors, like so they're invested in you because they're your friend or whatever, it's still it's a job to them. When you're hiring on people, it's a job to them. And some people are going to be more emotionally invested for sure. But you have to remember, like this isn't everybody's baby. For some people, it is literally just a paycheck, you know, and you have to treat it as such. It is a business too. So yeah, just a yeah, quick reminder of that. Absolutely. And a lot of indie productions, especially in New York, you know, they, they don't pay uh, some of the roles, the more creative ones, they won't pay at all. And a lot of indie yeah. productions, especially, you know, like when I was first starting out, uh, first time filmmakers, et cetera, they just don't have the money to pay very much. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember too, like don't get in the, mindset if you're the creator of mm-hmm. I, these people are all doing me such a favor like of course they of course they are but also you are offering something to them and it's important if your project isn't good enough that they won't come out the other side proud able to use it to get more work able to put it on their reel or uh send it to their agents and managers or whatever then why are you making it so mm-hmm. first thing is quality right. control on the script side and making sure that it's going to be, have the potential to be great. And then making yeah. sure you're using the cameras and all of the gear and the locations. Great, great, great. Like, so you actually pivot the whole conversation from asking for handouts to offering opportunities to people. And that being said, on the other side, if you are not in a position to take low pay work, don't take it. Don't take it and be resentful when you come on set. Like, know what it is. Know what you're walking into, right? That, okay, this is low budget, but I'm going to give it as close as I can to as if I were getting paid my normal rate because I'm doing it for XYZ reason. So I just think it's important to find people who get that and who aren't expecting it to be like, you know, a commercial shoot or something where there's like, you know, just thousands and thousands of dollars for their department. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good reminder. And I think just being upfront from the start about that helps mitigate those Mm -hmm. conversations. And, and then it doesn't feel like you're in this position of, I'm only asking for favors here. It's like, no, we all are, you know, then understood, like, this is what I expect to back, like the, the roles and responsibilities. It's more clear. 
and <laughs> less like, oh, help me, <laughs> like, you know? So I think I love that you kind of mentioned that because it puts you in a position again of like, okay, I am the boss though still, like I'm still trying to make this whole thing work. And we, again, Tessa, you pointed out, like we, we get stuck maybe if we're doing both the creative, like just thinking creatively a lot. And then we have to remind ourselves, this is also mm -hmm. business and to merge the yeah, two. Yeah, and it yeah. does get a little confusing in film and TV because there are people who are entirely dependent on their skill set, say, as a cinematographer, to survive. And so I totally understand, yeah. you know, feeling like maybe the market's getting diluted by people offering to work for free for certain positions, but they're really not comparable. Like the kind of set that's going to hire like a, you know, $800, $900 a day cinematographer is not the kind of set that's looking for, you know, friends or, you know, right. quote, free <laughs> yeah. labor. But um, I think if you are starting out and you've never done this before, you know, I, I wouldn't go like spraying, hey, please, free labor, like on all the message boards or whatever, but maybe go and set up a dozen coffee meetings with people and start to make friends and make community. Mm -hmm. And then once you feel like, okay, I could yeah. call this person an acquaintance, then feel them out and in conversation say, hey, would you wanna come on set with me? I, I can only pay like a $50 stipend or whatever, right? But that yeah. sort of kills two birds with one stone because you know, I, I do see in the forums, people advertising for low budget and, and they get flamed super hard sometimes. So it's just like, <laughs> you wanna be tactful <laughs> about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Being tactful, being, being smart. smart, setting those boundaries and like just, yeah, being upfront about it. And yeah, just it's so many little things to consider. But like once you've been doing this, even as long as we have, which is not that long, like we we're not that experienced, but you you learn these things and you figure out and it's it's all just like it's almost social cues. <laughs> you know, it, it's figuring out like what people are generally willing to do what you can kind of get away with quote unquote and, and what makes sense for everybody, you know, and it's, it's a learning process, but yeah, I think that you outlined it really well for people just starting out. Like that's the kind of mindset you have to get into. Yeah. Community is so, so important that. and it's so stressful being a showrunner or a, a writer director of a feature film or, you know, it's just like mind bendingly stressful. So the more people yeah. you can have to, to sit down with and, and vent or, you know, commiserate or help support you and celebrate you. It just really makes you feel like even on your down days that you have a group of people rallying around you to, to see it through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why people say like, don't go into filmmaking, whatever aspect of it you go into, unless you can't see yourself doing anything else because like being on set is simultaneously the best day in the world and the worst day in the world. Like, you know, you love it so much and it is also so miserable. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something you have to love doing and you have to be dedicated to, to make it through. What's but surrounding yourself, like you said, with a support system is so helpful, so necessary. Are you a podcaster like us? Vlogger? Interview conductor? Do you need a VO booth or ADR? Remote audio video professional recording? Ooh, Tessa, spill the tea. Well, the Network Studios in Culver City is a fully functional recording oasis with multiple rooms made to cater specifically to audio podcasts, video interviews, and voiceover, plus an experienced sound engineer with the ability to edit and master, all your needs will be covered. Audio engineer extraordinaire Mike Casentini has worked with several podcast heavy hitters and got us started from the ground up. He's the reason we sound so good. Plus, all of our in-studio guests have been very impressed. To find out more, visit www.thenetworkstudios.com and book your next recording session. COVID compliant and open for business. What is the indie scene like out in LA in terms of shooting your own work? How... How, what is that like? Is it easy, hard? What are the um, It's easy in the way of finding people to work with, I think, um, because, you know, everybody's out here to pursue that. So it's not difficult to find 
a team at whatever level you're at. You know, there's so many people at so many different levels. So that I think is a huge bonus of being located here. Where it gets difficult is everything is more expensive. So beyond just people's like day rates and stuff, like locations are way more expensive than, I mean, even if you go, you know, outside of the 30 mile zone outside of LA, it's like half the price just for the location, you know, and then permits, you have to have a permit to be everywhere. So all those little things are like exponentially more expensive in LA. So that's kind of the pro and con, I think, of doing it right in the city. Yeah. And I just want to add, like, because we've now had so many filmmaker, indie filmmakers on the show that aren't in mm-hmm. L.A., like, a lot, like, 90%. And it's been awesome. And to hear where everyone's at in different cities and really you can do this anywhere, which is so cool. But I think L.A. still has that unique, like visceral reaction amongst the filmmaking community I sit down with um filmmakers and for coffee and we just like it's cool to be in a city that really loves Mm -hmm. this like we are we all are here to do this and we want to make it happen so that energy is is just unique and if you want to be anyone listening want to be a part of that that does exist here and that's what's really cool versus maybe in your hometown where you are the only filmmaker passionate trying to make it happen who are you going to have coffee with you know it's it's a little bit more difficult so I, that's another really great thing I love about the filmmaking community here in LA. It's like just yeah. out there. I don't know if, if that's out there in New York, but um, I've had some, I have a lot of hybrid filmmakers too from New York to LA and they say that they, they love both cities and LA definitely has that, that vibe out here. The vibe. Mm-hmm. That's cool. cool. I, I don't like, I don't like paying for permits or locations. So maybe I'd better <laughs> stay in New York. Yeah. For the time being. Yeah. My friend is a, a producer and he recently moved from New York to LA and, and I was grilling him about the differences mm-hmm. and, and he was like, it's something that I noticed too. He's like, LA people are very sick. Oh yeah. I was like, what does that mean? He's, he's like, when you're on set, you know, you just, just, they're sensitive. They're fragile. <laughs> I mean, it is, that is kind of true to some degree. Like it is, there's a very. Why? How, why I is that know. true? It's a I different. Think- well, we're both from, so just, sorry, but Tess and I are both from New York um, East Coast. I'm raised, born in Queens, raised in Jersey. She's from PA. That's why me and her fucking yeah. click, because we were like, wow, we don't, I, I was just telling her, we were just talking about, we we're having a meeting today. And for the first time we considered getting drinks and maybe talking about our personal <laughs> lives, but me and her can, we don't need the chit chat. We can just like talk business and we don't have to like have this whole thing around it. And I think when you come from that mentality, I think back East, we're just more like direct. I think it's just, that's just how it people are. That's how community is out back East. And in LA, I mean, it's a big city. Like there are pockets of people from different, it's just vastly different even in mm-hmm. LA from where you go. And so there's not this, con- like there's not a, culture that's just singular in the way they speak act behave and I think that that really translates over to how communication is I mean I mean we're on our phones 20 like 90 percent of the time like what is communication I mean I try to say hi and hello and especially someone serving me coffee like let's have a little like hello thank you like you're great person for like just like a little interaction um my my boyfriend makes fun of me because he'll be like oh she just makes friends with everyone but I just love that that sense of community and like just but on set it's like I want to be that chill person but I'm also going to be that direct person just so we get our shit done you know and so that's what I tell people out here I'm like I am really chill and easygoing but also I just I want us to be able to talk about the issues and just get it figured out and I think yeah yeah, that's that's just it's, the vibe. It's telling it's telling that the two New Yorkers were one of the first to respond to the podcast. Yeah. You ladies were on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello. I mean, no, we loved that like even in in talks with your PR rep, like, it, yeah, she was quick to respond to us. And I think that's something we always want to set a precedent with the people we talk about on our show is like, we're going to, we're going to try to give you all the information up front. Like we've gone and asked to be on shows <laughs> out here and they don't send any details. And there's yeah, like, that's another thing. No follow yeah. up. Like we're not going to follow up to be on your show. Yeah, that- like, 
you need to. That's another that. vibe that's very like for some reason California, and I think it's because just like the vibe I guess out here is just very more like slow, laid back, whatever. That people just like don't follow through with things. They're not on top of things. They don't give you all the details. Like me and Caroline are so like. We want to send out every detail you could possibly think to ask for. We want to send it out as early as we possibly can. And we want to follow up. Like, that's how we do business. And that's the kind of business that we appreciate in return. But it is not always the that's case out she's here. That's why she's my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so yeah. important. That is what, like, creates a marriage on set. So, yes, if, you know, you... but. The beautiful thing is there are East Coasters yeah. out here in LA. From like your friend who just moved. I mean, I'm sure we would get along <laughs> instantly. Just because you just for some reason will gravitate to those people. I found that like all my friends out here are from the East Coast, now that I think about it. <laughs> like literally. So you just find those people. Yeah. yeah, I've shot three things in New York so far this year during the pandemic. Wow. And um and it was with the right team, it was just incredibly easy. The first one was a full series, uh, six episode digital series. And and that was even before the vaccine was really widely available mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, or maybe even approved. But the and that that was a little stressful because of you know, SAG and their um right their stipulations about COVID are yeah. just very extensive. Yeah. But well, after that one, once I got kind of used to the whole process, the other two were really quite easy. So I think anyone worried about shooting during COVID, it, if you have the right team and, you know, of course you have your CCOs and all that, it's really a non-issue. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. We had a, we had two um, filmmakers come on the show and talk about their experience, but not in New York. I'm actually pretty shocked because of the way, you know, New York was hit very hard. Mm-hmm. So good for you for like, we're fine now. Like literally, literally it looks like spring break outside. Like no one <laughs> is, no one is wearing masks yeah. anymore. Like that, you know, I was at an event uh, recently and just like a lot of, lot of people inside all yeah. together so I guess we're back now yeah that's how it is out here oh, now too. so good to mm-hmm. hear so good to hear New York is back LA is back like we're yeah same so that's such a good thing to hear yeah I want to circle out back and talk about strut because same. this is another thing that's really important to hear why you created it what it's about and the platform it's on where it's being distributed is really unique I've, I haven't heard about it before so talk to us about your show. Yeah. So it's on a network called Reverie TV, which is the first and largest queer network in the world. They've got an online base at reverie.tv, but they also license out to a lot of cable TV affiliates. Like they're using DirecTV and Comcast and AT&T and Roku and a bunch of places. So I mean, literally, my show is now on television, which is cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is awesome. They, they have a lot of amazing content uh, from the queer community about the queer community. Wow. So I thought it was really cool that even though Strut only has one queer character, they wanted to work with me in part because I'm a queer creator. And, and they thought that the whole premise of Strut, which is these four best friends who start an escorting agency together, that that would appeal to the, the queer community and queer sensibilities, yeah. which is so great because honestly, a lot of networks that I pitched, they were just like, oh, sex workers. Well, that's, <laughs> yes, unique. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and just ter- terrified. I could see the terror in their eyes. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it, it was it was nice to feel like somebody was not afraid mm-hmm. and just kind of got the whole, the whole thing. And, and, you know, it's a comedy, so we're dealing with sex work in a way that you don't typically see in mainstream film and television. You know, it's not some big taboo, freaky thing. It's not like sensationalized. Right. It's not. Um, it's not even that sexy. It's just for normal women like you, me, anybody. Like, yeah. Sex work is really common, and yeah. people don't know it because. There are so many uh, negative repercussions to being out as a sex worker. Like you'll get your social media shut down for a start. Like no questions asked. So it'll just kill your entire 
presence online. They'll, they can shut down your bank accounts. They can kick you off of Airbnb. They can make sure that you like basically discrediting you on all these various platforms, you know? And so I really wanted to destigmatize sex work because especially with OnlyFans, like mm -hmm. come on people, it's 2021. Don't we have a few other things to worry about besides <laughs> making women feel bad about being sexy online? Like, right. come on. So yes. I just wanted to, to really normalize mm -hmm. this industry and help to give some power back to women. And of course, there's many other sex workers who are men or, or non-binary or trans, et cetera. So, and God bless them. This show happens to center for women, mm -hmm. but the sex worker destigmatization extends to all because there's, there's room for all. And, and we're really like past the point where criminalizing sex work is at all acceptable, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's such an important conversation to have. I mean, I have a handful of friends that either are or were in sex work and it's, yeah, it's like they can't tell anybody about it. And it's so dumb because it's, it shouldn't be, I mean, clearly they have clients, they have customers, like they're making money from it. Clearly people are using it as a service. So why are we so against it? It makes absolutely no sense. And it is just... It is so dumb. That's a whole other conversation, but I'm really glad that you are um, centering on that and bringing up that conversation and doing it in a comedic way, because like you said, that's something that's not really seen a lot, you know, so giving a different like a different perspective to it and allowing people to view it in a different way. I feel like it kind of humanizes all yeah. like, to makes it more relatable. Like it's not like th these are like Yes, it makes it feel more like the common man or women that you friend that you have, like that could be doing it or could be yeah. involved, you know. So I do. I think comedy is really smart because it it also just makes it feel like it's your friend um, or someone that you could be close with. Yeah. You know? And any any person, this is gender non specific, mm -hmm. right? Any person who's ever gone out on a date and like, let's say you're hot. And your date is maybe not as hot as you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, they, they can pick up the tab, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're, they're, they're glad to be on a date with me. And I'm, you know, I'm here I am showing myself in public with this person who's not hot. Uh -huh. And so they, yeah, pick up the tab, right? Like that is very relatable, I, I hope, I think. Yeah. Um, well, how is that really different from just putting a price tag on it? Yeah. And saying you want to have dinner with me, that's $500 yeah. or you want to do, you want to do something else with me. That's X amount of dollars. Like, yeah. where's the line, you know? Right. And so it came really out of a series that I made the year before called textual intercourse, which was about the intersection of, okay. Originally it was called Tinder is the night <laughs> then Tinder threatened to sue me. Oh, no. So but th that was all about, you know, what is the, the line between dating and transaction mm -hmm. because there's all these unspoken kind of barters and trades that go on within dating and especially like in big city dating mm -hmm. and in the early stages be before it becomes like an intimate partnership sure. you know but early stage dating is so transactional a hundred percent and I just <laughs> thought like, like well yeah right of course like I have a European grandma she's always like the man's got to pay otherwise grandma would not approve and I'm like yeah okay okay Graham I feel you I'm with that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so you're right yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. where does the line where, where do yeah. we draw the line and and um I mean my thoughts about the whole thing have evolved a lot in the in the four years since I first wrote strap but I think at the end of the day who is it hurting and why do I care? Why do I care what somebody does for money? If it's not hurting me, if it's not right. hurting other people. Right. Which I think also, Absolutely. you know, I mean, that, that covers sexuality in so many ways, you know, from actual sex work to even just like the talk about sexual orientation or uh, sexual identification, you know, what you identify as like all of those things that, are starting to become a little more normalized now. And I think in different cultures, like um, like out in LA, it's a pretty common thing for people to, you know, 
state what their pronouns are, for example, or whatever, but maybe not, you know, in the Midwest or with the newer like generation millennials and stuff. I, one of my friends is a teacher and she's a lesbian. And she said that, you know, somehow it came up in her high school class and almost all the kids were like, oh yeah, I'm bi. Like that's, that's normal. And she was like, I, if that could have been, you know, when I was in high school, it would have been insane. Um, so yeah, just normalizing all that stuff. It really gets the conversation going and hopefully makes a positive change. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, one of the, the reflex reactions to this show and, and to shows about female sexuality or even just centering a sexual female character, Mm -hmm. what happens is it really triggers people's shame, individual and collective sexual shame. Yeah. And you know, that's not to be um, ignored, but it, it's also, let's not confuse what's happening with you with uh, the series itself or the mm-hmm. whatever the, mm-hmm. the character is or et cetera that's triggering them. So, you know, you're free to have your, your response around sexuality, but like really that's shining a light on your own issues mm-hmm. <laughs> around sex or gender identity or whatever, you know, there's also a lot of internalized misogyny Mm -hmm. in women and men both and uh that's just something that we haven't really fully started to talk about yet it was actually black lives matter that was helped me to understand you know because they were talking about um there's a lot of discussion about uh internalized racism Mm -hmm. like black people internalizing racism and and how that what a insidious uh effect that has and, and I, that was what led me to realize, oh, all the times when I have internalized misogyny and against others and myself yeah. and how I need to continuously work to reprogram that yeah. to be more accepting and inclusive, not just so like my sexuality, which this whole thing has been a journey of helping me to understand where I am in this whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then just being more accepting of women in general and like, you know, why, why, why am I so judgmental? And like, can I just be, can I let others be and like, let them, you know, like people are practically naked right now because it's summer and it's COVID and they're walking around like, that's okay. Let them be naked. So what? Yeah. No, it's so, and that's so like, again, kind of speaking to the internalization of it and stuff too, like that's kind of the trend of fashion right now as well is like no bras are like a way bigger thing than they have been for decades, you know? And like, personally, sometimes I'll put things on and I'm like, is this okay to wear? Like, or am I, I too old for this? Am I too whatever, whatever? And I'm like, free the nipple, sis. Yeah. Who fucking cares? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm yeah. all about it. I am so here for it. Thank yeah. the Lord. Seriously. But I, I, I'm so glad that, you know, I think just Nisha, well, well said, I'm like not the most eloquent person here on the the show, but I I love that you broke that down because I I definitely was thinking about too, um, around the, yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement about women's rights too. And like, we've all just, it's given us all a chance to, yeah, like reevaluate the way we think and like what, yeah, what social programs we have going on, you know, we, we can't, it's, it's not always our, our fault. It's just how we were born. And, but it's our then job to kind of then do that deeper level of thinking and adjusting and changing and growing. So I think that's just so important. I love that you said that. Thank you. So before we wrap up, um, I want to, so you mentioned, um, that your show's on Reverie TV and you mentioned that a lot of, um, cable networks or not networks, what's the word for that? Are they considered affiliates? Affiliates. There we go. Um, I've picked you up. So everybody, uh, be on the lookout for that. Reverie.tv. Um, you probably have it on your TV if you get if you have cable, if you have Roku. Um, so that's one place to find your show. But let our listeners know, um, can they just find it like also online and also where to find you, your other work, your social media, anything like that that you would like to share? Awesome. Yes. Strut is right now available for free on reverie.tv. So if you don't have TV, go just online and look it up and watch all six episodes. It's live. It's here. It's very funny. Uh, 
So that's Strat. Me, you can find my website is mishacalvary.com. And I've got links to two other shows there that I've done uh, that are available now. Step into my office, which is a dark comedy about um, sexual harassment. And then All Hail Beth, which is a, a magical realism show about a woman who becomes a Babylonian goddess. Nice. So those are both available. <laughs> love much. Yes. And I would love to hear from you on Instagram. So I answer DMs usually super fast. I'm at Misha Calvert on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, I love connecting on Instagram. That's kind of my home base. And yeah, if any of your listeners want to drop me a line, I'd love to chat. That's awesome. Thank you yes. so much for making yourself available for that too. That's, I think our listeners really appreciate that. And also thank you to, to uh, Jillian Roche, your PR who connected us. Um, she was awesome. So I just want to make sure we shout her out if we didn't already. Yeah, she was, she was so great to, we love that her message, the way she approached us. It's like, we were just saying, you know, not everyone knows how to like do the whole, like do business. Um, <laughs> Do business. Thank you. Yes, do business. And she was amazing. So we, we really loved and appreciated her messages and, and putting us in contact with you. We we live, this is the community we bring and form on our show. So it's just I'll amazing. let her know. Yeah. Yes, Thank please. you. Please. Yeah, she was great. Well, lovely to meet you, ladies. Thank you again. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear the episode. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.